0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk, a podcast for special needs and ADHD parents. I'm your host, Shun Prochaska. In this episode, I'm talking to behaviour management consultant Fintan O'Regan. Fintan is one of the leading behaviour and learning specialists in the UK. He's a special educational needs and behaviour consultant for the Schools Network. He's currently the vice chairperson of UK ADHD Partnership, and a member of the European ADHD Alliance. He provides support and strategies to parents and schools struggling with behaviour difficulties. And before this, he was a head teacher at a specialist school in London. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. So thanks, Finn, uh, for with me today. And just before we get into it, I just wondered if you could give a really brief um, explanation of sort of the very frequent co-occurring um, disorders that come along with ADHD. I'm thinking um, oppositional defiance disorder and conduct disorder.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been particularly interested in, you know, the, the whole um, comorbidities for some time, because as you probably know very well, it's very unusual just to have uh, one element of, of these things. And ADHD, I, I've got become much less term about symptoms more about traits and uh, but you know those traits for me are always about impulsivity hyperactivity and attention but with that often comes overlapping issues of of pushing back and that's what oppositional defiant disorder really is i think it's it's unsupported and untreated un or not very well managed adhd so i think you get the reaction from the core symptoms i think conduct disorder is a little, you said to be brief, it is, I can't really be, because I think conduct disorder is slightly different um, in a way and I think um, although there's some knowledge people are saying you kind of evolve into it, I think ADHD I've always said is very non-premeditated behaviour because the impulsivity, I think conduct disorder is, is actually far more premeditated behaviour and, I, and I, I'm not so sure the overlap is there as much as it may well be with asd and conduct disorder if i'm honest with you it's a much it's a similar similar sort of rhythm if you like there's not quite a robotic way of looking at it, not a lot of empathy um so and i would i would alert you know so asd is the other one of course but i would say <laughs> opposition with fight disorder adhd pretty closely aligned as with some asd conduct disorder there but i think conduct disorder often overlines a little bit with asd
0: hmm, interesting i didn't know that so when parents come to you, I know you work with with schools also, but when a parent comes to you um, what are the sort of most common challenges that they're facing like at what point do they kind of reach out to you?
1: Yeah I mean I think parents are generally speaking um, you know they are uh, what they're, they're worried is the number one issue I think they're you know they they're concerned a number of levels because he's getting in trouble all the time they're they're worried about the lack of potential. I think they're worried also about what they are seeing now: are these secondary issues of of oppositionally fighting sort of manifesting themselves at home, the frustration, and everything else. So, and then you know they they you know they they're looking at the looking at the short term, but obviously being parents, you look at the long term as well. So I think those would be. Issues and I think the number one thing I think is is obviously them trying to understand the condition more so they can support their child. Well, that's the number one thing. Hmm. Um, the, the challenge obviously then is is helping them understand that not all schools will be as accommodating to um, to to trying to understand developmental differences and others. Um, and as I said, so that that's a challenge I think. Uh, uh, for them, um, because they, so the 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 problem a little bit is the process that we have to go through. Because what happens is that parents, for years, have known this child is different. They they know something different about him. So they get they get then they get the sort of like the idea that they might want to have this evaluated, and they they get him they get they get him tested. So they therefore have gone to they've taken that point where they want an assessment. But I think what is really unfair for parents is parents go into this and they are sold down the river a little bit by people thinking when you have an assessment, that's it, life will be great. Well, the assessment is is it might say this or that and it might say what to do, but it doesn't mean that everyone, including schools, will do it. So I think, you know, so so parents, when they come to me, sometimes, if I'm honest with you, they're very frustrated because they have made that step. They have tried to sort of understand things. and then they've, they've seen something that fits the what, you know, fits the child that they're with. Uh, and, and then they find the school's not accommodating it. So I, I think it's a little bit of in, in, indecision early on, some insecurity. And mm. then there's some real, real and genuine frustration.
0: Mm. And, and just talking about like parents' emotional state, um, because I, I know you, you speak about uh, yeah. mood management. Can
1: yeah, you, tell yeah, that, um, you tell us a bit more about that? Oh, well, thank you for mentioning that. I, it's my thing. I don't know why. It just seems to be the thing that, that, that stays with people. I, I'm, I, I've just always tried to sort of be practical with my advice, both to teachers when I'm working, you know, for them or with them, and also with parents. And I can only say that the feedback I've got from over the years is about mood. And it is just for me just to get the parents to understand, you know, that they set the climate, as do teachers, and the child will react to that you know accordingly um and uh the 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 feedback i get from parents when i've done a sort of like a three or four week course with them is that that's what they say has made the difference they started to think less about managing behavior more about organizing and thinking about mood and that has seemingly paid benefits to um to to all all concerned but i think the first bit look at me and they like what are you on about i want something meatier i want something more practical and in the end it's quite interesting they've got to go through it and it's sometimes you know they they get it. what the beauty of training i can tell you what the absolute beauty of training is is when you get a parent on week three who you've seen for the last two or three weeks say to another parent something that i might have said week one and they hear it for the first time and they go oh that's a good idea And you you, you want to jump up and say, I said that two weeks ago, but you don't anymore. You're just very, very grateful that that has now come across. And they will hear it far more clearly from their peer than they would have done from someone at the front. They've heard it. They kind of haven't absorbed it. They've gone through it. And that's when it really. So I I take that as a really big um, uh, success moment. I used to be a bit frustrated by it, but now I don't. I take it as a success moment.
0: Hmm. And what about the three moods I've heard you talking about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of got this, you know, from, as you know, on the source in terms of my interpretation of mood and, 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 and looking at it and working with it, but it, you know, if I always, cause what, what people want to do is they want to, they want to change the, they want to change the behavior of the child with, you know, the one who's the on point, but how you really do that in my experience is you've got to organize your own first, often you've got to organize the moods of the others, you know, in a classroom, it's, it's the players, what I call, who wind up the individual you catch, and, and at home, it's the siblings, and, and if you get those, if you've got yours, to a certain extent, under control or managing, and you've sorted out theirs, for whatever reason, you will generally uh, affect the person who you want to support, you know, you'll change their mood more effectively, so I always say it's it's yours, the others, and then theirs, so to speak. But don't mm. start with theirs. Start with yours. You might want to start with theirs and the others, whatever. But I'd say it's more yours, the others, and then theirs. Okay.
0: So let's talk about um, SF3R, and I think it'll lead us to some more interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you again, again for mentioning. Uh, it's not a. It's not a four It's a formula, but it's a, it's more of a process. And I, I've just over the years tried to sort of put down, if you like, ways that I think will help support and get the message across. And I'm not into models as such, or or policies, I'm into hopefully practical support. So, you know, I think we all know structure is really important and boundaries are really important and those that push back. So we know that. But the problem with it is, is that they're often too tight, they're too rigid, they're unrealistic. And because of that by itself is not enough. And you need flexibility. And this is where it causes the problem, because so many people think flexibility is contradictory to structure, which it is in a way, isn't it? You want structure and flexibility, but it's how it's applied. And, and so what I've tried to say is you've got to have some non-negotiables, you know, mm. and then but things like, you know, which cause a lot of problems, particularly at school, you know, organisation, um, you know, calling out in class, they're not crimes against humanity. And that's where you have to be more flexible. And this isn't something that's easy to sell because people think I oh, was getting away with it. But the problem with that is they don't understand what developmental difference is because a child with ADHD, as you know, is two or three years behind his peers, um, and therefore he doesn't have the same skill set. You know, and therefore he will stand out, which is why you need to support him. And the analogy is that if you someone had an inhaler or had, who had a, had an asthma, you would give them a you know something to help support mm-hmm. that. So that's the analogy. And so you've got to sell that little bit. But the three R's are how you sustain it and, and support it and ultimately, you know, uh, let them go because rapport is really important. That's your first R. You've got to get the right communication. You've got to get their trust, or else those that have been pushing back won't let you operate your SNF. And, and then you've got to move into the other R's are relationships, which is you and them. But also for me, crucially, it's them and them. Because children with ADHD, as with dyslexia, as with ASD, are bullied at school. That's what. That's why the others are, are a, a real crucial one at winding them up. So you've got to get them to understand neurodiversity. They're all mm-hmm. up for it, actually. You know, to and once they once they get it, because diversity makes sense to them. The, all the other the, but they don't get taught about what is why he or she is different. They look mm-hmm. the same. They get taught why he or she is different in all sorts of other walks of life but not in this one you know Mm -hmm. and then the last R is resilience which I kind of see as taking the stabilizers off letting them become more independent than dependent but you've got to get your S your F and your two R's flowing before you can get to the final one so it's something that I've kind of you know I, I, I sometimes if I'm honest with you I've struggled a little bit do I keep it do I not keep it uh I kind of want to add another R really, which is role models, but it, SF4R will just blow people's minds. So you've got to keep the three, haven't you? So I, I have sort of moved the R, the last R around a bit, if I'm honest with you. SNF rapport relationships, rock solid. But the other R is uh, open to, uh, it, it moves about a bit. And
0: speaking of another R, how important are rules for parents? Yeah, well,
1: yeah, and that's that's where the that's where ours can, can cause a problem because you just <laughs> go on ours, and I mean, so rules. I see rules. I can add another R to you. i will add two more R's: rituals and routines, rules, rituals and routines. But where they all fit actually is in S. They all fit in structure. Those mm. are your boundaries. But yeah, if you start talking about, that's why it can be quite confusing with all these letters and stuff. But they're absolutely important because they set the tone and life is about that i always make analogy you know if you're driving on the road you, you need to drive on one side of the road if you don't it's going to be a problem so you have got to have to have them i think my big issue with rules again is not the rules it, it's the fact that how they're applied and how realistic they are and you know that's why i say that if you you've got to have some things are your rules are, that are enforceable if they're not enforceable, they're not rules, you know, They're expectations. So they've got to be enforceable. And what happens is I think people set rules, if you like, or structure or boundaries, which are unenforceable and therefore, you know, they're not worth the paper they're written on. So you've got to be, um, you've got to be practical. You've got to be realistic as well. And, um, and you've got to be prepared, I feel like, if you set a rule and it's not followed to follow through with, with what, are, what are sanctions or consequences but no, on no point otherwise, because otherwise they won't work.
0: Yeah, it's it, from working in, you know, uh, actually in residential care years ago and, and seeing teenagers coming in and they're physically aggressive yeah. and quite intimidating to be around. And within a week or two, they're, you know, doing yeah. the drying up and they're yeah. doing their laundry and they yeah. have changed so, so massively and yeah. they seem so much happier because they have that security.
1: Well, that's what you've done. You know, like maybe I should have reinforced that as well. What rules do is they make or boundaries. They make people feel safe and secure. You reduce the anxiety. People know where they are, and if you worked in that area, which you have, you'll know that ultimately, you know, what they really want is structure. They want to feel safe. They want to feel secure. They'll give you the impression they don't, but that's what they really want. That's why they keep turning up, or else they wouldn't turn up. They, they don't turn up anywhere else. They keep coming. In, in fact. I always find you know if you work in special schools which you have in residential places yeah you know the, the kids are you know they're but it it you know it doesn't happen day one it's how you sell it to them you know and how you deliver it to them other people just accept it these kids do need to have that relationship will rapport with you to do that but ultimately rules make people feel safe and secure yeah which is why We have this kind of indecision in, you know, in some cultures and countries right now about what's going on. You know, the ones that are fairly, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone you might like it, but at least you feel everyone's doing the same thing. Where those don't exist, you know, there's obviously dissension and chaos, and it just feels, you know, feels loose and uncertain.
0: You mentioned um, consequences earlier, like kind of realistic ones. what sort of, is that like um, after your homework, you can play a computer game for 20 minutes?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose I shouldn't use the word. consequences. It sounds a bit strong, you know, but then sometimes you've got to say what's on the tin. It, you know, I, I sometimes use logical outcomes or, you know, hmm. whatever. But the bottom line is, is that, yeah, you 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 know you, the, you need but it's to be realistic. And the problem is where well, we go back to where mood is, because parents will say, I think I might say this before, you know They'll say to Jack, if you don't finish your homework and Jack doesn't finish his homework, then they'll say, right, you can't have Xbox for the rest of the week. Well, you know what? That is just such a disproportionate response to what he hasn't done, you know, the rest of the week. And it's on a Monday. So now you've got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You didn't want to say that. You might have said you can't have it for 30, only have it for 20 minutes this night as opposed to an hour or have more. But you don't want to say it for a week. When you're in a good mood, you say things you don't mean and you don't want to back up. So the thing about consequences or, or out, their outcomes. And I think the main thing to always t- is to drill it around to this is that it's not what you're not doing it, it. They have made the, not made the right choice. You know, they had the choice to do it or not do it uh, or do it the way you want them to do it. And they, they made the choice not to do it. So therefore there is an outcome for that choice they'd made. If they do the other choice, then you get the thing. So now where that, where that falls down a bit, is with children with ADHD. So if you're premeditated, that's a good system because you know you're weighing up whether or not you should or shouldn't based on the outcome. You've got, you've got the option of making a more conscious choice. But if, you, if it's the first time you think about what you've done, you've already done it. That's where impulsivity really bites children with ADHD because they, you know, the, the impulsivity means that they haven't really made a conscious choice, but they've got to live with the consequences, which is why... You know, sometimes those outcomes don't work. So, you are generally speaking better off for ADHD to 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 offer more incentives than disincentives. Mm. But for children that have more conduct disorder issues, who are more premeditated, you know, weighing them up equally is about okay.
0: Mm. Interesting. Um, I sort of wonder as well about about humor, like using humor as a distraction um like if i'm trying to imagine you know parents at home trying to do homework with say a child who has inattentive adhd and who's just absolutely not interested does distraction work it does even more kind of distraction work like if well you let me I'll give, or... I'll
1: give you i'll give you give you lots of things on this i mean number one it takes a child with adhd to issue year's is homework we said it takes it i would i would really like homework the burden of that to be taken off parents. It takes a child with ADHD three times as long, the same piece of work at homes and schools. There's quite a lot of studies on that. So mm-hmm. I think homework is a bridge too far for many families and parents when they're trying to get them to get to bed on time and I think, you know, not be on the PlayStation. So I think, but I know what you mean, but in some situations that's not going to happen. So but it's an example to what they could do. So I think that's number one thing. I think, so you should be reducing homework because it's a, you know, if you have a... Ch- you gotta remember, he's, an, he's a 13 year old. He's gone through school all day. He's basically a nine year old and a 13 year old body. So he's trying to get through. And now you ask him to do 13 year old homework in the evening when he's tired. You know, so it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. But ironically, distraction and humor are excellent ways of motivating people and changing mood. And and I use that all the time as a teacher. I've used it as a parent. Um, but also distractions that you might want to consider, which might sound completely freakily wrong. And I've seen this happen with my own children. You want to, see so children with ADHD, if they're bored at all and not, not focused, they look for other things. That's why they flick and they keep, they're looking for distractions. So, and that's why, you know, allowing them to fiddle, allowing them to chew, allowing them to, is a, is a, it's something to help minimize the, the sort of like the, the distractibility and it, it helps to focus them. Um, other people it might not but it helps them but I've actually seen students particularly I mean you know working in front of a screen is better usually because it's multi-sensory it keeps their attention but all screen time is you know is boring isn't it and so I've seen kids work far better uh, I've seen my own kids do this they've got to do some screen work for school online and they're watching friends on an iPad beside them that, that assumes the house has that ability to have all that stuff of course but actually it might seem, well, isn't that distracting them away from the screen? It's actually kind of white noise. What it's doing is it's stopping them from. And people say, aren't they watching that? Well, first of all, they've seen friends a billion times anyway. They know which line's coming up, but it cuts out the other distractions. It shouldn't mm. work that way. When I say this to parents, look at me as if I've gone, you know, gone, I've lost my mind, but actually, it can actually work. Music also, proactive distractions cut out non. Predictable distractions can cut out non-predictable distractions and can allow focus. But to answer your question about humor, best distraction ever. Changes mood. You know, you you, you get a much, you get a very different person to work with if you can throw that in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sort of lightens everything up all around. Um, so, does com- playing computer games cause ADHD?
1: Well, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because people all think this is the case, and the reason why they haven't got any attention is because we're on computer games. It doesn't cause ADHD. It, I think, what happens is if someone has got, um, it's actually can you get performance on a from children where you won't get on other things. But if you're doing it all t- all the time, then obviously you know that's the medium you're going to be using all the time. So we say the computer is a tool for anyone. It's a tool. And, you know, it doesn't cause attention difficulties, um, but it might ex- exacerbate them if they're using it too much. I mean, perversely to this, there is a, uh, a technique now, which you might've come across. It's uh, um, the, was it the American, uh, what do you call it? Medical people have come out with a computer game called Endeavor, which is actually now licensed as a treatment for managing ADHD symptoms. It's an alternative option to medication and it's been offered to families as an alternative method if you like for helping to um, support ADHD symptoms and this is a computer game so Mm -hmm. I wrote an article a few weeks ago saying get back on that computer to make you know it's supposed to be a sort of like an example on that one there's no evidence actually to say that Computers have made people less attentive. We, we all think it's true. We all think it's one of those, but there's no mm-hmm. evidence I've seen that substantiated that. Um, we know, but it's not the computer. It, it's 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 you know it's it's their access to it, what they're doing on it. It's a medium, you know, um, which is going to has changed the world. And uh, people that won't write will type. You know, people that can't focus can. You know, so I think we've got to be looking at what computers do to help support attention and productivity as opposed to blame them for being the cause of it.
0: It all depends on how you
1: use it. Very much so. Very much so.
0: Um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much, Finn. It was great talking to you.
1: Not a problem. It's always lovely to share with you and uh, thank you for all the work you're doing because... uh, you know, we still got an awful lot of um, people to, um, uh, to to support, and we've got some people who are still see this as an excuse and, and not an explanation. Um, and we're not saying that you know people should be um, getting away with anything. What we're trying to do is just is just you know make um, make a case for understanding, learning differences. Um, you know. At, in in the future, as I say, you know, 20 years ago, dyslexia was was not where it is now. ADHD's made some steps, but it needs more initiatives and the sort of things that you're doing to 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 help get get the message out. So thank you as well for doing what you do.
0: Great. Right. You just listened to Let's Talk with me, Shun Puhaska. My guest today was behaviour management consultant Finton O'Regan and we talked about support strategies for parents struggling with their child's behavioural difficulties. If you want to know more about Finton or where you can reach him, his website is in this episode's description. Thank you for listening and until next time, take care.